0: hey what's up and welcome to another episode of sneak up it's pedestrian podcast dedicated to all things art music dance and all around culture sponsored by platypool shoes my name is jack and i'm your host and your avatar for the amazing conversations we're having right here on the show on today's episode we're following up one of our first ever sneak up episodes on the state of australia's music industry a lot has changed in the almost 12 months since we delivered that last episode, and so it felt like a great time to see what has changed. To lead that conversation, I'm joined by a man with years of experience in the music industry, in promotion, artist management, and event organisation. You might know his group, Astral People, for doing shows across a whole variety of genres and states, and so no doubt he'll flex that experience with us here today. His name is Vichara Edirasinghe, and he joins me right now. Vic, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, Pleasure, thank you for having me My pleasure So Vic, you've got a really long history of putting events on Could you give us a bit of a rundown Just to familiarise everyone with who you are and what you do? Sure, so I am the co-director of artist management and touring company Astral People
1: Uh, We're a Sydney-based company that's been running for close to nine years now Um, Is it that long? Yeah, it has been that long Time flies, we're nearly (laughs) at the decade (laughs) Um, And we started as like an avenue to basically promote our management roster at this time. Um, so, at the time, we were managing um, eight Australian artists when we launched the company, and that slowly evolved, and basically, they weren't earning enough money. Uh, we were still as broke as you can be, and so we decided, look, we need to add in some you know, some other facets to this company. And so, me and my business partner, about uh, before we started Astral People, we had run a number of events and tours um, and basically to add some more income streams to Astral people at the time because management sadly just wasn't enough to carry us. We added the event side of things and we added the international touring side of things um, and I'm pleased to say that now both all those sides of the company, management touring and events are flourishing um, and yeah and so you know we've been so lucky to be able to grow a company where you know we started doing events for two, three hundred people at a time just mainly in Sydney um, and now we operate all across Australia and New Zealand um, doing shows of up to you know 11,000 capacity Um, and so yeah it's been
0: it's been an amazing ride cool I mean that's a that's a long time and a lot of changes what do you think are the most major changes that you've experienced over the time that you've been organizing festivals like say from the first outside in to the most recent last dance
1: I think to be honest it's definitely you've definitely felt like the you know local police and local council pressures Music events and festivals have sadly become a bit of a scapegoat, especially on, like the, I guess for lack of better words, war on drugs. Um, and, you know, especially coming from New South Wales, Sydney in particular, there's been like obviously a huge crackdown, um, you know, on, on, on clubbing, on festivals, on music events. Um, and that's, you know, revolves around obviously the lockouts and, you know, more recently with festivals in particular. Um it is becoming increasingly difficult to do uh, festivals and events in New South Wales. Um, the companies that do succeed in this in this side of um, the business are ones that have long-standing relationships with local council, with local police, have been operating for a number of years. Um, it's also, you know, becoming even harder now because obviously in, over the last summer with with the bushfires as well, um, it's becoming inc- even to add to that. You know, you've got now insurance companies not offering um, I- insurance against bushfires. So without insurance, festivals that have millions of dollars on the line cannot go ahead. Oh my God. So we're going to see, I, I'm predicting, we're going to be seeing some big changes over the next
0: couple of years. Oh, Jesus, that's terrifying. Let's get on to that a little bit later. That yep. sounds pretty hardcore. Yep. Uh, I'd like to sort of maybe be a bit bright for a moment. Yep. You've had a heap of really major artists play in a heap of different shows mm-hmm. that you've organized. But which has been your favorite to have on? The funny thing
1: is, I was thinking about this the other day, and it's never the biggest shows that we do are our favorites. You know, it's always revolves around the events that our friends and our families that come to these shows, our local crews that they have the best time at. Because when they have the best time, it's when we have the best time. And if, funnily enough, a lot of those parties are the ones that we probably lost money on, um, including um, the Mr. Sunday party in in Belmore Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which... That was the raining one. That right? was the yeah. torrential raining one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was absolutely flooded. And but you just these are the memories that lasted you forever. These are the reasons why we do what we do. Um and it's don't get me wrong, it's great making money and doing big concerts and whatnot and you know, and being part of that game and, and, and that ecosystem. But I mean, me and Tom come from the clubs. We, you know, we, Astral People started, as, as, as I said at the beginning of this interview, Astral People started doing like, you know, shows for two, 300 people in small, dingy clubs, um, you know, going to a five, six in the, in, in the morning. That's where we came from. And so, dance culture for us is obviously still such a core and important and valuable part of our business. Um, even though these days we don't get to exercise that to the you know, extent that we would like to. Um, having said that, yeah, it's, you know, the funny thing is, is that when I think about the best moments that I've had at Astral People, a lot of them involve rain, and we set up this tarp. And I just remember everyone that came to the party, which, by the way, was again we didn't sell enough tickets, and it was already look. I think that one was probably looking at about like a twelve to fourteen thousand dollar loss uh, between us and Cake Wines, our partners at the time in the end event. And I remember our like the crowd had just obviously fit just under this tarp perfectly, <laughs> and. With rain coming on top of this tarp, everyone was kind of like poking little holes in the tarp to make sure the rain could seep through so it could like stay uh, stay above them. And it just created this atmosphere of like, hey, we've all come out. We've all braved the rain together. We're in this together and mm. we're going to have a bloody good dance. And it was... Just an absolute privilege to put on that event. And just and the Mr. Sunday guys, Justin Eamon, absolutely nailed it. Um, and even they were saying, like, look, you know, we've only had a couple of really rainy parties in New York themselves. And so it's very, very unlucky that the one party they do in Sydney... Um, it was just yeah. It was it was you know it was it was that bad. But as I said, I walked away from that, and I just remember like afterwards doing the pack down at the venue and just being so soaked, so stoked. You might you might as well have just thrown me in a river at the time because I was I was that soaked. Every part of me was just waterlogged, and I just didn't care. I was so happy. It was just like you. We walked away, and I remember the next day just waking up and being like, I have never felt so happy to lose fourteen thousand um, dollars. <laughs> Because, you know what, if you're going to lose money in this industry, then bloody throw a good party doing yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. You're <laughs> yeah. going to make the best of a bad situation, exactly. for sure.
0: Exactly. Oh, hectic. <laughs> I mean, my next question was what you strive for when you're putting on events, but I guess it's that, right? Yeah. It's that sort of wild, once-in-a-lifetime kind of yeah. family vibe? Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think family for me is, I mean, the
1: whole reason, like, you know, me and Tom left some, you know, a pretty decent career paths to come and, you know, focus on actual people full time. Um, and... I think for me personally, the reason why I got into this industry was to be able to put on events for all types of people and to just have them leaving at the end of the day and even if I had to work from 6am to 6am that night and that morning to do that event and even if I lost $14,000 that they would walk out of our events with just a smile on their face and that to me is one of the best things that you could do for another human being is just to bring a smile to their face. And this is the way that I know how. Some people do it in other in other ways. Um, this is the way that I you know, knew best was by using my skills to put on well-executed, fun events for people. Um, and I think for me as well, the other side of things is I've always really been interested in execution. And this is something that I drill into my staff. This is something that we drill into all the teams we work with is execution of each event has to be absolutely good. A key, key, key
0: aspect. And for me, it's what I enjoy the most. And when did you realize you said that you and Tom left some very promising career paths? Mm. I've heard a bit about that before. When did you realize that this was something that you wanted to do with your life? I think I realized it personally when I was
1: actually at university studying health science, looking to become a physiotherapist. And I, for some odd reason, to pay my way through uni, I was promoting at various clubs in Kings Cross and Oxford Street at the time. Um, and back then promoting like was a thing where basically, you know, you could bring a group of friends, they could say your name at the door for a guest, you know, a bit of cheaper entry and you get like two dollars fifty or five dollars a head. Doesn't exist today. It's there's such not enough a people. a weird could, thing, it yeah, doesn't exist yeah, anymore. It's hey. crazy it doesn't Whoa. exist anymore. But it was such a big, big part of like cult- clubbing culture in Sydney back then. Um, now there's just not enough people to go out. Um, <laughs> and not enough venues to go out too. Um, and it was just you know, and then I found myself from that, I was doing that. And then I found myself selling tickets for all these festivals that today we, you know, tour acts for, that we book acts for, that we book stages for. So it's pretty crazy how full circle it's all come around. And, you know, and, and also I found myself doing internships, like a lot of unpaid internships while I was studying a health science degree. But I found I was doing all this because I just really enjoyed it and I really loved it. And I knew that, like, there was a part of me that was in my head that was like, hey, this this will never be like a career path for you. But there was something inside me that was the entire time through my
0: uni degree being like, just keep doing it, Vichara. Just keep doing it. You know, just keep keep at it. Cool. So moving on to the whole sort of festival mm-hmm. conversation, were you guys impacted at all in the government's festival lic- licensing attempt? So uh,
1: we were I- impacted in an indirect way, a very indirect way in that you know, especially with the artists, you, we're a touring company and a management company f- first and foremost. Like, yes, we do have a record label, we've got a publishing arm, um, we've got an events arm, but first and foremost, we are a management company and we are a touring company. Now, on the management side of things and the touring side of things, how the ecosystem usually works, and obviously there's, you know, there's there's uh, there's variables to this, but how the ecosystem of like touring, for example, works. You bring out an artist for the first time, you might bring them out to do like, you know, an Oxford Art Factory in Sydney, Howler in Melbourne, Jackrabbit Slims in Perth, and you do a small small tour. But the goal is always to sell out that small tour quickly and then be able to bring them back for a festival run afterwards. Mm. Now, when festivals are a bit like, you know, a bit unsure about what's happening, uh, you know, on the brink of closing or are closing, then that on the touring side of things alone throws that ecosystem completely out of whack. Because what are they going to do? Like, you know, they, they take a... F- we all take a hit on that first tour. In terms... Of, if you looked at the hours that go into, like, putting together a tour like that, for both the artist and the promoter, it's not worth it to do something like that. But you make your money back on when you come back for our festival tours. Um, and that's usually, that's usually like, how it works. And the thing is... And and you kind of interchange between headline touring and, and, and festivals over the course of your career. Perfect example. Stormzy will come out. St- when we first did Stormzy, he did a headline tour um really smashed out next time was like for listen out which he sadly had to cancel then he came back for a headline run sold that out now he's got, you know that then now he's doing another headline run but the next one after this one will most likely be festivals so it's kind of Interplaying between the two mm-hmm. um and also on the local management side again we they all our local management artists do these big headline tours to prove their worth to these festivals And without their confidence and without their, you know, without them being actually in the market, um, it really hurts. It really, it really, it really like changes that ecosystem. Um, And it's something that, and I think, I think to be honest, yeah, it's just, it really limits the amount of plays and artists that we can bring out to to this country, mm. um, and so while I wouldn't want run, run any festivals myself besides Last Dance Year, New Year's Eve, which I still consider a bit a bit more of a dance party than a festival. Yep. Um, although it's getting quite big now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Better check on that. <laughs> Not uh, yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I you know there's it's definitely it's definitely going to hurt both local artists and international artists not having them in the market um, and I think as I was saying earlier in this interview it's just a really it's not a scary t- it's just a bit of an unsure time at mm-hmm. the moment like I think I think there's a lot of people just kind of scratching their heads being like what's happening next because after the season that we've just had with bushfires and you had Falls Lawn cancel and you've had um, Lost Paradise cancel and you've had um, you know Beyond the Valley issue- issuing severe wind and uh, weather warnings and you know This is scary stuff. You know, this is real scary stuff. I mean, and you've got to think about the flow-on effect with this. Mm. Now, if if these festivals have to cancel because of the bushfires, and if whoever the promoter was who was bringing out certain artists, internationals or locals for those festivals, if that festival doesn't get paid, if that festival cancels, if that festival's insurance company doesn't pay them out, guess what's going to happen? No one else gets paid. Mm. The suppliers don't get paid. The artists don't get paid. The, it's 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 a real scary situation, and it's and you know and it's it, you can't really point the finger at anyone in no, that sort of scenario. And so, when I said the biggest thing that's going to impact festivals in the future of New South Wales is insurance, it's a pretty crazy statement, but it really is um, because without insurance, those fest the, the, Everyone's basically what's going to happen is you're going to have all these artists. They're going to put in crazy insurance terms into their contracts to make sure they're covered. Now, if the festival can't get insurance on their side to be able to cover in case of a fire or in case of like severe weather, I mean, just in Sydney alone in the last like two, you know, just two weeks, it's gone from like I, I haven't been able to see the skyline in months because like it was covered in smoke for so long, and now it's just covered in rain for so long. Like you know, it's just it, you just this it, it's just getting crazy and crazy here, and and it's a serious serious issue. Um, and if festivals can't get insurance against things like bushfires then they can't operate in those sort of unique locations and that unique factor and the reason why people go away to these festivals being in like a, you know a, a new location a remote location somewhere where they haven't been before that's it's not you know they're going to have to change their model mm. they're going to have to change their model and whether that means they're going to come into the city more whether that's going to be like scoping out areas that you know obviously aren't going to be like bushfire affected so much i, I don't know what's going to happen and you know what People figure it out. People do always figure it out. Like with the lockout laws, everyone was like, oh my God, it's it's insane. Like, you know, we, we can't party and we can't do this. People get on with it. You get on with it. You know, you, you there's amazing crews of young promoters in Sydney that are throwing like amazing warehouse parties. There's, you know, there's daytime parties coming up. There's, People like Astral, people like us, we're doing you know, a bit more like live concert stuff and maybe some of the amazing concerts and amazing acts that we tour today, we wouldn't have brought out if it wasn't for like us. You always find a way to adapt. If you don't find a way to adapt, just like with any other industry, unfortunately, you're going to get left behind. And I feel like the festivals will adapt. I think right now, though, it's just really unsure. Really, really unsure period.
0: Mm, yeah, wow. I hadn't really considered the whole insurance thing until you put it in front of me, but that is really terrifying. Yeah. I heard that Subsonic, Got hit with that recently. They're yeah. having a bit of a dispute with their. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I mean we, and, and again, like, look, look, we, we,
0: were t- we toured two artists for Subsonic. Mm. We'll be back to our interview with Vic in just a moment, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. Wouldn't you want to hear from Kanye right before he released the college dropout? You know, right before he was Kanye? <laughs> well, that's what Sneaker, a to Push Shoes podcast, is all about conversations with talented people blazing the trail yeah my next question there is i guess it's both from like a, a legal and local council sort of perspective and from the perspective of you know a young dj where do you see the future of this being like how do you think that local councils are going to be acting for the next couple of years i think now
1: that the lockout laws have been removed and i think they're now going to be you know uh, I think they they just have to support venues. Mm. Venues in terms of like the world perception of Sydney has been absolutely tarnished. Yeah. Sydney is uh, an absolute laughing stock to many people out there. Mm. And when you go overseas and you go like when I go to take meetings in London or New York or something people just go, "Oh, you're from Sydney. Oh, heard what's happening over there. Oh, that what's his name? Scott Scott Morrison, your prime minister or he's and it's just like I just hate having these conversations with people because I'm like you see this tiny tiny thing in Sydney and Australia and you see this tiny little like you know part of it and you don't see any of the good and you see this tiny little part that gets portrayed on like your news stations over there and it does impact on like you know tourism here does impact on the the way the world looks at you know sydney and australia and and now i think they're feeling a little bit of that pinch and i think the lockout law getting removed there i think that i think other local governments are going to be a bit more supportive of things they can control right so like stand like events and you know and 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 clubs in um in, within, within like you know main city areas i think where the question marks are going to come is their support for uh, festivals and events Outside of Sydney and things that they're a little bit more unsure of, I think that's where I really question where they, you know you know how, how supportive they're going to be. I mean that was just ridiculous when those festival licensing laws were coming in and basically you, cops could just send through you, you know before you knew exactly what you had to pay for a user pay police and now they literally can just go a week before your event hey by the way you need to pay 150 thousand dollars for your 20 user pay police. No set standard whatsoever. No one's got what what each user pay police is worth. They just get to tell you what it costs and mm. you just have to pay it or your festival doesn't go ahead. That is insane. That is absolutely r- ridiculous. Like in what world can someone just go like, hey, you got to just pay this amount of money for this amount of police and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I could tell you one thing one cost for 10 police and I can go to this festival over here and because I i like I like what they're doing a little bit more I'm going to just charge them a little bit less you know there's just no it's not standardized at all and that's going to be a really interesting thing um, and then you know as I said I mean look to be running a festival right now in Australia you've it's just insane and it's just so tough and like you know that's one thing they're dealing with and then just to add to it that you know now they've got to deal with like you know bushfires and, and all the natural disasters as well. It's like just the poor a, guys, the poor break. guys can't catch a bloody break, you know? And, and, you know, I, you know, as I said, as, as a touring company in Australia, I, you know, we're going to support as much as possible and do what we can. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like I can't be putting on artists on these festivals knowing that like, Hey, if a bushfire happens, do, do I still get paid? Cause I'm going to be copying it from their agents and their managers mm. overseas, you know, and it's just going to be a vicious cycle. So look, Long story short, I think it's going to be a really interesting time um i think I think you're going to start seeing venues and clubs in Sydney thriving more obviously now it's post lockout time. I do think having said that it's going to take a lot more time yep. you know you you can't change you can change laws overnight, but you can't change culture overnight, and right now we need to. It's a process of changing culture. It's a pro, 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 uh, it's, it's a, um, a period of changing people's mentality towards going out. It's not about hey let's go out and get fucked up in this three hours because that's all we have. It's about hey, you've now got eight hours. why don't you just take your time? Why don't you have a beer every hour? you know why don't you have a dance? why don't you go sit down for a little bit? Why don't you go like go get a meal? you know that mentality has to change and that mentality is going to take a lot of time to change. And I think festivals in New South Wales are going to still exist. And as I said, the, you know people will adapt. I think whether they exist in their current context of being these amazing experiences three hours out in the bush of New South Wales or Victoria, that remains to be seen. I think insurance is going to be the real deciding factor whether or not those festivals exist in the next coming years.
0: I guess... In the meantime, all we can do is show our support, buy tickets, and get out there. Absolutely,
1: get out there, support your promoters, and just know, like, hey, the promoters that are still throwing parties these days—they've come through the one of the toughest periods ever in Sydney's clubbing and music history. Um, and you know, and I think pe- people did feel the pinch a little bit, but yeah,
0: now it's 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 all guns blazing. I've got hope. Yeah. And my final question, Vic: What sort of advice would you give to people looking to get into your line of work? Oh, do not go to university for this job. (laughs)
1: Absolutely do not. If you want to get into the music industry on a business level, do not go to university, do not go to college, do not go to TAFE. Get out of school, go online, research, do as many internships as possible, get your hands dirty, get out there, get into the workforce and just
0: grind it out sick yeah, yeah. hectic well Vic thank you so much for coming on the show this was a great chat yeah oh, thank you so much for having me pleasure yeah. that's it for another episode of sneak up hopefully you got plenty of info and insight into the many different layers of the local music scene and I'm feeling too downtrodden by the state that it's currently in if you want to be inspired or just know when and where some great gigs are going on you can follow all that Vic is up to over on the astral people instagram at astral underscore people While you're there, want to chuck a follow to Platypus at Platypus underscore sneakers or Pedestrian TV at Pedestrian TV. That's it for this season of Sneak Up. Thanks so much for tuning in. No doubt we'll be back in no time with some fresh and exciting chats about art, music, dance, and all-around culture real soon. Till then, though, keep it sneaky.